Hi, I'm Heather Knight, and this is the Surviving to Thriving podcast. One in four women will experience severe physical violence by an intimate partner in their lifetime. We're going to discuss the taboo topic of domestic violence and the tools our thrivers have used to succeed in life. We want you to know that you are not alone in this fight. Please keep listening if you or anyone you know has been impacted by domestic violence. Before we get into today's episode, I would like to thank our sponsor, night protection services for making this podcast possible and all the support they provide our cause hey guys welcome back to another episode of surviving to thriving today i have with me meg nasaro she is an inspirational speaker leadership coach mentor and counselor at law with a demonstrated history of working in federal government she's an award-winning author of the magical guide to bliss skilled in nonprofit organizations and team building and public speaking. She has a JD and MA in international affairs, BA in Spanish and Italian, and is a certified professional coach. Um, Her second book, Sparkle and Shine, was published just this last October, and her memoir, Butterfly Awakens, a memoir of transformation through grief, will be published uh, in September of this year. Meg, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you, Heather. Thank you for having me. I'm super excited to be here with your guests and your audience. Of course. Now, that was a lengthy bio with lots of cool things that are in there. Um, But is there anything else that you want our audience to know about you? Well, just since I'm channeling this week, I like to tell everyone that I am a magical manifester, and I think it's my superpower to help others come alive to the beauty of their dreams. I really, really get endorphin kick about inspiring people through the vulnerability of my life. So if I can help do that today on your show and, and, you know, open that, you know, can of worms, whatever, everybody, you know, for sure, I'm here for it. Awesome. Well, then let's get right into it. Uh, I like to kind of go back in time with my guests and talk a little bit about childhood. So what was life like for Meg growing up from like 13 to 18, those like pivotal high school years? Well, it's it's funny because 13 to 18 is a huge swath of time, like you were saying before, is that like had such an impact literally on how I see my life. And I think that I've spent my years from 19 to I'm 50 now, 51, kind of unraveling what happened to me from 13 to 18. So basically what I would say is 13, super awkward, super, you know, not understanding really how I wanted to show up. I had, I still had braces. I think I wore braces from my second grade year to my eighth grade year. So I think I may have just been getting braces off when I was around 13, 14. Yeah, super awkward, you know, a little chunky, you know, I um, didn't know where I stood in the world. I was a middle child of three girls. And, you know, my sister, my older sister, super smart. She always did the dutiful thing. And my younger sister, I always say, was super spoiled. <laughs> she always got to do whatever she wanted. And, you know, beautiful sisters. I have amazing sisters. I literally um, have gotten many attributes to my personality today because either I was fighting for my place in the world with my sisters or we were literally supporting each other. And my mother had us all playing tennis for our high school years. So we were in competition with each other. We were literally competing with each other. So, you know, she encouraged that. <laughs> so it's really quite amazing um, that, you know, we all get along till this day. She went, actually my oldest sister gave me once um, a poster that said, sisters, 
same genes, different planet. So, you know, there you go. We're all different planets and we all, you know, found a way to revolve around each other and, and support each other. But I know at 14, 15 were tough. I was getting, I was finding my own way. I'm a, I, like you said, I, I, I majored in languages and I found during those years that I had an, an affinity for languages. And, and I was so grateful that my teacher with my Spanish teacher just uh, liked me a lot. And she saw those kind of gifts in me. So she was very much um, someone who inspired me as well. Um, it kind of brought me into this ability to see those strengths that I have rather than focus on the weaknesses that I was way aware of. I knew a lot about my weaknesses. I was essentially bullied a lot. And I was in high school, like people used to make fun of me a lot because I was kind of awkward and insecure. And like I said, I didn't really know where I stood. So I was an easy target. And, and it's funny today because I have believed the belief I became a lawyer so I could find my own voice. So no one can push me around anymore because if they do, I was a prosecutor for 20 years. So literally they're going to come at it, right? I have this defensive posture, literally trying as now, like you're saying, how's it impact me now? Right now, I am the lawyer that I needed to protect me when I was 13, 14 and 15, literally. And then, you know, when I was 15, I, I, I was going to say 13 to 15, I, I had, um, I made some really wonderful friends and actually one of those friends I have to this day, she's quite a support system for me. Amazingly, amazing woman. And, you know, 16 was actually the year that opened my whole life up to um, a certain sense of confidence because remember I told you I, I, I love languages. So when I was 16 years old, I had the opportunity to go exchange and, and I didn't know where I was going. I just was so excited that I didn't have to go back to camp that summer. I think camp was another torturous place for me because the girls were like very, very cliquish. And, you know, everybody wants to be a part of the in crowd. And I was just like, I'm even going to bother. I don't even want to bother. They're just annoying. And I just like, I don't want to. But I didn't want to go back there. So I had to start researching what I wanted to do. And I found this exchange program. And I signed up and I put Italy, Spain, and anywhere else that's a South America or Latin American country. And I ended up going to Colombia, South America. And my parents, I don't, you know, it's, I, I look back and this is kind of funny because I look back and I think that it was at the time in the eighties where the drug wars were huge. Like there's like hit, like serious narco trafficking issues down in Colombia. And my parents sent me anyway. <laughs> so I'm like, I don't think I'm the one that they love the most because you know I, I didn't know any better. And I just assumed I'd be okay. And it, it was, it was an amazing opportunity because I got to rewrite my own chapter to my life, my own narrative. So 16, I, I learned Spanish almost fluently and I came back feeling really good about the Meg I wanted to be. And that just, you know, turned into my 17 year, 18, when I, when I went to college and I went to the college that I wanted to go to. And my life uh, literally has been about attracting people into my life who are really uplifting rather than people who, and, and I'm a huge, like if anyone, I, if my friends, if I see anyone bullying my friends, I'm like back off, right? I'm here, I'm coming, I'm coming for you, right? Because I know how it felt and I want to empower others to stand up for themselves as well. So that's a bit of my story, Heather. I was like, that's a lot of time, 13 through 18, but you know, I, I grew a lot. I grew up a lot from 13 to 18. If I look back in time, I say there were 
like they say, those bits of genius that popped up. Everyone has, you know, those inspirational hits that you're like, maybe this is interesting. And I started getting really curious about what made me alive and what made, you know, I was passionate about. And I started playing in, in those arenas rather than, you know, trying to say, well, this person is great because he's a mathematical genius. And clearly, I do not have any interest in that. So why would I try to like compete in that arena? I don't care. I want to have a, a fun experience. So there you go. So hopefully I answered your question. <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely. I think that it's really cool that at 16, 17, you were able to have those realizations. A lot of teenagers can't and they're not given the skills to even be you know that there there's no way they could do it because they're not given the skills to even start thinking that way so I think that's really impressive that you were able to kind of have those realizations and <laughs> and also the realization that your parents sent you into a cartel ridden country at 16. Yeah. You know, I think that they just wanted, it's funny because they, there's a lot of trust there. And, and if you send it through a really accredited program, you're just hoping that you're going to be okay. And they're just like, I had the most amazing exchange family. Nothing would have ever happened to me. They would have protected me with every last bone of their body as if I were theirs. So, I mean, and now like literally Columbia is something that I am so grateful that I know that whole culture is amazing. It's like a whole, um, whole magical place you know music and and cultural experiences through the food the people the history i would never have had that experience if i i decided italy or spain right because i'm italian by by heritage so i i knew a lot about that and spain you know is a european country but super and you know one of the things i do want to make sure that everyone knows is that you know i was a very rebellious stubborn kid okay rebellious is a good thing because you know what you don't like and the stubbornness is standing in line with that so sometimes when you like vet out those things you don't like in life you'll find you'll you'll make your way to the things you like so once and so you know everyone's like oh the black sheep or all this other stuff that people like to put down I'm like that and i have a daughter who's incredibly strong-willed and my mother used to say don't worry it'll serve her well one day because the world is going to see her coming and she's going to and you're at least you're going to have the experience from what you've been through to stand for her so that they can stand for themselves right and that is the beauty of the collaboration of life, right? You get to pass it on and someone else learns that. from your, your gifts. Yeah, I love that. That's amazing. Really incredibly powerful words from your mom. That's that's great. And hopefully she said that to her as well and that she has that in the, the back of her mind that she can, you know, conquer the world as, as her own. Uh, I love that. So I really want to um, then now jump in. How did you go from languages to being a lawyer. I know that now you're looking back and you're like, I know why I became a lawyer as of now, but when you were, you know, 22 graduating college, what was that like? Oh, I actually want to now go get my law degree. Like where was that kind of shift from languages to law? So, well, when I graduated from college, I was not prepared for the world. Let's put it that way. <laughs> like, I was like, um, I got to take care of myself now. Okay. You know, I was very lucky. My parents valued education to the point where they paid for my education. So I just was supposed to show up and do my job, which meant study, learn, take advantage of as many opportunities as I could. 
from. And when I graduated, we were in the recession period. So it was in the 90s. And I had applied for law school because I just figured, oh my God, I don't know what I'm going to do next. I might as well apply for schools and then figure out how I'm going to pay for it then. And um, ultimately, I didn't get into law school out of college. I had what they call a gap year now, <laughs> but it was forced upon me. So I was forced upon a gap year because I only applied for law school. I didn't get into law school. And at least my parents gave me the opportunity to come home to see what to do next. I probably should have figured that out while I was in college. <laughs> that probably would have been. But, you know, I came home and I got a job, but not the job. I, you know, I, it's one of those things, process of elimination. Get the jobs that you don't, you know, you're not going to want in the future and, and learn how it feels to have to support and feel and like without really having to fall on my face because my parents let me stay at home with them. And then I decided, oh, well, you know what I'm going to do while I'm here? I, I got a chance to go to, um, to the university in Orlando, it's UCF. Um, so I went to Boston College and I went to UCF. And I took, I took post-bac classes when I wasn't working. And it was so cool because the teachers, because I was older, when you know better, you do better. I was older and I had more of a hunger to, you know, really, you know, figure out what it is, what direction. I took international relations and I took feminist and politics, females and politics. And the teachers were magnificent. And since I was older than the kids that were in the classroom, I took advantage of the teachers. Like I would talk to them afterwards. I would ask them significant questions because I had a goal in mind. How am I going to articulate this into something that I want to do? So after that, I applied for uh, my master's because I loved international relations. So I, I applied to the international studies program here at the University of Miami. And that brought me to Miami. So, you know, and I, and I laugh because after my graduate program, which I loved, I loved, I was thinking about going into foreign service because I figured, oh my God, I could be of service. That would be fantastic. I come from a family where there are politicians. So my grandfather was a congressman in New York in the 60s. So I grew up surrounded by, you know, pictures of John F. Kennedy and my grandfather, Eisenhower, my grandfather, all these like, you know, people who were in history books, like literally coming to life because my grandfather was in the House of Representatives with them. And I was like, wow, that would be something, you know, to do that. And the Foreign Service, they don't, they wouldn't let me take my dog. So I decided, well, I guess I'm going to law school. <laughs> so I went to law school ultimately because the Foreign Service wouldn't let me take my dog. And I couldn't leave my dog because my dog is my animal guide and he took care of me all those years. So that's what brought me to law school. So I went to law school down here in Miami too. So the coolest thing is that when I was in law school, because I'm a talker and I tell people what I'm looking for, what I want, one of my actual, you know, colleagues, my, one of my students, the co-students, my fellow students brought me a flyer and said, Meg, you, this is perfect for you. And I was like, as an intern, right? I was not even looking. And it, I was like, oh, and it was with, at the time, it was the Immigration and Naturalization Service, which, you know, they deal with a lot of people in the languages. I had the languages. I had the, the, the international background. And then I had the law degree. So I applied and I got the internship down there. And that started this whole process out where I am now. So that's how I turned into a, you know, federal immigration prosecutor for 20 years is someone gave me a flyer and I pay attention. <laughs> I was wow, like, that was going to be my next question is then how did you decide which type of law to go into and especially then you know it being immigration and, and but that's 
That's crazy. That is like a one in a million chance of like somebody handing you that you flyer. Know, Heather, I have to tell you something. Okay. And I told this to another gentleman I spoke to today. There's a great poem called Instructions for Living a Life. Pay attention, be astonished, and tell all about it. And essentially, one of the things that I set out is I'm a magical storyteller and I want to be surrounded by storytellers. And right, everybody is telling a story. If you look at life through those eyes, right, everybody is creating the story of their life, right? I told you when I went to Columbia, I got to change the narrative of my story. I went from this kid who was nothing, not like anything important to like people were asking me who I was walking down the street, right? Because I'm the gringa from the United States, right? So it, it was like, I'm nobody, then someone starts to see the somebody. And when you start to feel the actual somebody, the confidence, right? You walk with faith in your life, then it changes you and perspectives change and they shift. And then you start to stand taller, right? Because then you have the words to articulate that what you want. So going back to the whole fact that when I, you know, that one, that does not necessarily not happen. It happens for all of us. The difference is, are you awake? or are you asleep? Are you walking in a consciousness or are you walking in, in numbness, right? And just numb to the world. So when you're walking and when you're awake, it's a whole different experience, right? You, you start to pay attention to things. You start to see the opportunities where they weren't before, right? And you start to meet great people like you, Heather. So, you know, so then you can be a collaborative, like together, you guys can do so much more than alone. But the question is, you know, sometimes you have to wake up and open your eyes to see. So that's what happened. He gave it to me. I like, oh, and I acted on it, right? Where I could have said, oh, this is nothing. What does he know? You know, what the heck, you know? Yeah, that's, it's, you know, it, when you say that, it's, I I feel like I was in that same position, you know, I knew I didn't, I wasn't where I wanted to be, but it took me probably two years to leave the, you know, the job that I was in and, and doing that because I didn't think that I could do anything else. Uh, you know, I, if I didn't stay in the career that I, you know, my, my parents paid for, you know, then, you know, failing, you know, I'm failing through that as well. So I definitely agree that like when you're ready and when you're awake, those opportunities will come to you. I always say when the student is ready, the teacher will appear, right? So, so it, it, you know, but, but I don't see two years as being a very long time because you keep stepping, you're pacing yourself forward. So it's, it's that forward momentum and really paying to attention to how you feel because you knew that you weren't in the right place because you felt it. It just didn't feel right. And you wanted something different, but you weren't able to articulate. It took you that time to make the determination. Also, mind you, it was tough for me because I recently jumped from a, a legal career into a career as an author, but I had to get permission basically from my father that, you know, look, I appreciate everything that you've done for me. This is not me failing life, okay? <laughs> this is me just seeing how I can play differently in the world, right? And, and you know, he basically, you know, I, I was really, I was scared. I wasn't scared of anybody except for them because my whole thing was I was like kind of programmed not to disappoint my parents, you know? Like I want to bring great pride to my family. I don't want to disappoint them or shame, you know, or, or, or bring, you know, any kind of, malice to my family name so literally i'm showing up in the world with that that tri that tribe with me and uh, i have been trained 
to make that tribe proud because you know we have all these fundamental values like integrity, character, you know, work hard, you know, show up, reliability, like all of that, you know, is attached to that. And I'm sure that you may have felt the same way with your family because you just don't want to disappoint those people who love you so much for fear of being kicked out of the tribe which I'm very happy to say I wasn't kicked out of the tribe. But, you know, who knows? It's a crapshoot at that point, right? If you step into your own, you know, world and passion and everything and just you see bigger and you're just hoping that people with you can, if they don't see it, that at least they trust that you're walking in the right direction for you. Definitely. So I want to kind of go into that journey a little bit with you. But my first question is, you became a lawyer because you wanted to, you know, exert this self-confidence and, and all of these, you know, great qualities where, and, or at what point were you like, I don't know if I want to do this anymore. You know, I don't, I want to become a writer, you know, with having such a strong reason to be a lawyer, you would think that that would be your entire career path. And there would be no wavering because it was just like, this is, I'm doing this for me. I'm doing this because I need yeah. to, I want to be a, a more present person. So what, what was that thought process? What was that, that feeling of how do I switch from, you know, law yeah. to writing? Well, I mean, I, I, my path, the shift began, let's say, you know, when my mother passed away in April of 2011 and before she passed away, she said to me, you know, stress will ultimately kill you and you don't want to have regrets. And I'm like, oh, you know, like, oh my God, you know, because, you know, you, you think you have all the time in the world, right? You think you're here on this planet for as long as you decide, right? And, and as we all know, pandemics happen, <laughs> maybe, maybe once in our lifetime, knock on wood, let's hope so, right? But stuff happens. I would use a different word, but it happens. And, uh, you know, I think we're all given this one crazy, awesome life opportunity, right? And, and I do believe that each of us are a miracle because if we knew the chance of us being, you know, coming together with our, like our parents coming together, they creating us, and then we're here, you know, then what a, what a beautiful gift to really contemplate. If you get your mind around it, I think you might be like on your back for a while, like thinking, wow, like out of your mind, that's crazy. But the cool thing is, is that she gave me that gift. So, and I was able to say, when I was a kid, I loved to write. I loved to write stories. I loved to create. I was drawing all the time. I was really creative. And I literally, for the last, at that point, it was like 16 years, I was able to be a teacher because I had brought in these interns that I taught to be these creative professionally and personally people in the courtroom. And, and, you know, the courtroom is a big, I don't know if you can really contemplate this, but no one ever sees it. You're like, there's a great Shakespearean, you know, um, you know, all the world's a stage and you're the protagonist, you're the, they're the principal author. So if you look at your life that way, let's just say stage left, stage right, people come into your lives. Like right now, your dog is walking in the back. That's a character on your set right now. So if you look at your life, like this unfolding of this creative expression, 
of your experience in this world. And we all watch TV. So we're all looking at the stories. We all are so interested in good storytelling, like really good stuff, like all oh, the agony and the defeat and all of the, the elevation of endorphins when the euphoria takes over. If we keep contemplating that happening, you kind of look at your life that way and goes, well, I want to write a really good screenplay for this for this life. And, and I started getting excited about the fact that I would love to create more stories. So I have to step back a couple spaces. You know, I had a serious slam with the grieving process. It hit me like a ton of bricks. I didn't even see it coming. I didn't realize how desperate I would be when I lost my mother. She was a real force and a real foundation for me. Like literally, I felt like I could do anything and I would be okay because she was sat back home praying for me. Like, like it's going to be okay. She's praying and she's got a direct line to God. So I don't even have to pray. She's got it taken care of. And when she died, I was like, oh, crap. Oh, my God. Like, my mortality came in. And it was like, like a huge. So I was like, well, you know, is this okay anymore? And I was getting a lot of anxiety attacks. Um, I would be listening to a lot of sadness in court and not able to um, bifurcate their story with my own um, because I was experiencing so much sadness in my own life. And ultimately, I had to start, you know, it's interesting because I went to um, a grief support group. It was the most horrible experience of my life because guess what they were talking about? Grief, their sadness. But then I found a dream support group and it took me out of, it helped, it helped elevate me out of the grief. If you or anyone you know has been victimized by domestic violence, please reach out to us for resources and ways our organization can help you. You can find us on social media at 2thrivingatl, T-O-thriving-A-T-L, or online at 2thriving.org.